0: Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. I'm Jeff Wagner.
1: And I'm Hunter Ginn.
0: Are you ready to get happy tonight, Hunter?
1: I've been happy for a week and a half, man. (laughs) Let's just get exuberant tonight.
0: We have got this exhaustive career study on Norway's Beyond Dawn up tonight. Got a lot to talk about ahead of us, so let's not waste any time, and I think we should just jump right into this thing. Let's. I want to note before we get going that on their website at some point, Beyond Dawn had a slogan, and it reads, Norway's best and least selling act. Um, and i think that's kind of true uh, I, well i don't know about best okay. but this band are known by anyone that knows them as a band of total artistic integrity and bravery but they really yep. couldn't sell albums to any impressive degree and i think they even knew that
1: they have company you know i would think you know fluidity are up there um in terms of bands whose you know artistic might is sort of disproportionate to their popularity
0: yeah, for sure. For sure. But you know, you're hosting this little four-way we call Radical Research are two people that have bought just about all of you on works and we're here to tell the tale. So we are going to launch into it. Let's talk about the members real quick. Um, this band for yeah. the most part had a pretty solid core of four guys the whole time. There's an exception with the early demos and the first seven inch.
1: Yeah. So um, this band um, for the most for the better part of their career, excepting um, their very, very early stages, was made up of core of four guys. Vocalist and guitarist uh, Espen Ingird, vocalist and bassist Tora Jedrum, uh guitarist Peter Havik, and um, and probably most importantly, Einar Schurzo, who, if you are a fan of Norwegian music at all, you should know, served time in Vedwins Inde, has uh, a lamented soul. Yeah, as a live member, The Virus, Inferno, not a fan, but it, worth mentioning, I suppose.
0: I think Inferno is kind of fun to mention simply because, and maybe we can get into this later, but they seem to be one of those bands that was a response to all the, you know, ornate sort of uh, eclecticism that was going on in the mid '90s in, you know, European. Which is kind of
1: funny that. because he was like directly responsible for it.
0: For sure. So you know. he, I think he's one of the few guys. Uh, I, I guess the guys in Enslaved as well, they, a couple of those guys did some retro thrash type side projects. But yeah, Inferno, carrying on with Einar's you know, pretty impressive resume. He also played in a few flirty recordings.
1: Now, I, I think it's also important to note outside of his work uh, in making music, he's also a pretty accomplished uh, journalist and writer about music and um, has a a lot of really thoughtful and um, important things to say about uh, black metal and Prague and sort of their intersections. Um, I always enjoyed his writing in Terrorizer.
0: Yeah, I I actually was in touch with him. The only contact I've ever had with these guys was with Ina, and he was pretty instrumental in getting his zine out. It was called Dawn Razor, which was a nod, tip of the hat, Mm. to uh, Fields of the Nephilim. Nephilim. And a big fan of that stuff. And we kind of corresponded a little bit. And when we get into some later stuff, he actually sent me a tape around the 96, 97 era that um, is worth talking about when we kind of start getting into that stuff. He also more recently formed that duplicate records label who put out a number of things, including some, you know, Beyond Dawn kind of collections and things like this. By far the most visible member of this band.
1: Really one of the most visible and continuous members of that entire norwegian constellation of musicians
0: for sure so we begin in 1990 it's when the band formed tora petter and einar along with another guy uh, on guitar formed the band and released the first demo tales from an extinguished world uh it's three songs i just tracked it down today like no kidding i i kind of wondered about it. It's not on YouTube, so there's no easy access, but I, I found some guy who was, you know, had a site about obscure metal demos and, you know, he had the stuff available for download. So I, I checked it out, listened to it. It's pretty unremarkable stuff. I mean, it's basically a generic blob it of dust room, you know, <laughs> it's right. super raw, it's <laughs> crappy, it's primitive, it's underbaked, but you know, you got to start somewhere and I kind of, it being so, so at best, it, it really kind of pulls the next demo into relief. I think.
1: Oh man, it's amazing how quickly they develop. Um, But just like in terms of the totality of that next demo, it's so much more well formed than that first one.
0: For sure. This seems
1: to be consistent among like just Norwegian bands in general. They They evolve quickly.
0: Yeah. And, and some of them would just not stop evolving until they kind of hit this wall where, you know, you just can't go any further. So this the second demo was came out in 91. It was called Heaven's Dark Reflection. Eight songs, 26 minutes. You know, it's got an intro and stuff, but it's also got some shorter songs and then some longer songs. And here, right here is where we've got to put this Beyond Dawn Band in perspective. Now think think about 1991. Immortal, Dark Throne, Burzum, Emperor, Enslaved, they were all still playing death metal. Or... They were metal. just just starting to dabble in black metal in 91. We're going to listen to a song in, a little, in, in just a second um, from this demo that shows that Beyond Dawn were just, they kind of dabbled in black metal as well and then left it just as quickly. But I think in terms of offering weird sort of post black metal avant-garde touches, they actually even predate Ved Zende in terms of, you know, where, where they sit in Norwegian history. What do you What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's it's fair uh, a fair moment for us to eat crow because I believe that you and I both proclaimed rather confidently on our first episode that um, Vedwin Zenda is like the the crucible of all this stuff, and in fact, I I think that we both agree now that maybe Beyond Dawn was like several years ahead of that, and <laughs> it's too I think it's kind of consensus that like that a blaze in the northern sky which was recorded in 91 but released in 92 is kind of the first legitimate black metal document at least on a full length level but like beyond dawn was doing stuff with doing black metal and crazier stuff with black metal like at the same time
0: yeah and i i think that's the point is this it wasn't necessarily oh they were the first to play black metal that I, I, that's obviously mayhem but sure were they the first to really take the form, stretch it, bastardize it, kind of create something very progressive and, and weird and strange around it beyond the kind of more core traditional uh, black metal style? And I think they did. And yeah, it's weird because we've both held Ved Buendende up as the originals, and they deserve no less credit now. But I've kind of in diving into early Beyond Dawn for this episode, and I've had the Heaven's Dark Reflection demo for years but I guess I just didn't realize sort of where it really truly sat in the realm of Norwegian avant-garde. Well,
1: it's no surprise that they shared DNA.
0: Yeah, totally. So yeah, let's listen to something from Heaven's Dark Reflection. This is a song called The Sound of Wings. It's half of it because it's a, it's it's a bit over a minute and um, the song is not much longer than two minutes, but this, this opens with a fast kind of hi-hat count in and then you you get cello. (laughs) So, <laughs> they're, already, they're already getting weird. The tape, in general, some strange black dust strangeness and um, a few hints of the slower pace they'd embrace going forward. But check it out. This is The Sound of Wings.
2: Los en game on the
0: yeah so torah ripping up the bass there too
1: yes he is
0: that's <laughs> pretty it's pretty nice this, you know uh, I'm going to say this about another recording in in, a, in a, that they do in a few more years, but I kind of wish they would have stuck with this direction just a little longer because they leave it as quickly as they left. Just about everything that you know, every everything they would land on, they would leave just as quickly. What about we said
1: you? that about a number of bands that have kind of accelerated evolutionary arcs?
0: Sure, and you know, Sin
1: it comes to mind.
0: Sin it comes yeah. to mind. Yeah, we're both people that like. I think we encourage bands to move forward quickly, but it's some sometimes you're just. You know, you're wishing you would have gotten something, you know, in the realm of the, the Cynic Roadrunner tape. Too bad we didn't get an album like that first and then Focus. Is that where you land with that?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. And I like, also want to say, and I don't know if this is an appropriate time, but there's, uh, you know, there's always been a lot of typecasting of bass playing and Norwegian black metal and the, the absence of it. But, like, I think there's actually, like, a pretty strong Norwegian relationship to the bass. I think that's evident here. Certainly think that um, – Skull. Th- yeah, dude. Th- yeah, th- <laughs> our, our, our boy. Our yeah. boy. One of our fa- – he's, uh, he's got to be one of our favorite bass players, right?
0: Uh, yeah, for sure.
1: The mighty, mighty skull. Yeah. Um, and then leading up to, like, Lars Norberg. Oh, so yeah. yeah. Anybody, says who, anybody who says that bass doesn't have an important place in Norwegian metal is um it's
0: off base it's probably coming from the black metal and its aesthetic because it's really for the most part not supposed to have a lot of bass before we move on to the next recording uh i i I really like the vocals on that song particularly um they're really feral really diseased kind of i guess that just shows a little bit of lineage to mayhem and maybe sweden's morbid
1: yeah absolutely yeah which is cool because I mean, I mean, we tend to think of Beyond Dawn as being a part of Norway, but being outside of it most of their career. So it is cool to hear, you know, the early stuff and hear that link to, uh, I guess, as you said, that diseased um, Norwegian black metal thread. You know, there's even in in the most experimental stuff, like it, it's still there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it would be there on the next recording, which came out in 93. Now in 1992, uh, after this demo, they recorded some material that showed a real forward progression. A couple of these songs landed on this uh, thing put out by Inaw's duplicate records label. to be Beyond Dawn collection called Bygones. And it's um, it's where you can find these songs, Utopia and Glass Desert. And these are like kind of a more murky, weirder, slower, morose sort of thing. So so they're already leaving the black metal. They only hinted at in the previous demo and certainly getting into that weird, crazy, depressive sort of stuff that they would really kind of make their own. And then we get into the 1993 7-inch featuring two songs, Bygone and Strained, Down and Under. You are the expert on 1993, Hunter. Where does this material, <laughs> fit? Does this material fit into the zeitgeist of metal circa 93?
1: I think it fits um, right into the fabric of it. I think it shows a young band who start whose um, roots are in in pure metal, and like starting to bring in uh, lots of disparate elements from outside. Um, I, I you know the the kids in Norway in the you know in in the early '90s, they were maybe um, a little bit ahead of the pack in terms of their listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, 1993 was this time of hybridization. It, it was a time of impurity, but you know. Norwegians, other Norwegian bands are known for their uh, their allegiance to the dark side. But the interesting part of that is that all these bands, and uh, as listeners, we're starting to discover lots and lots of dark music outside of metal. And we touched on this a little bit in the last episode, talking about My Dying Bride. Mm-hmm. Early on, you know, uh, with their uh, daily insists with stuff like Dead Can Dance, you know, mm-hmm. bands in Norway were listening to Nick Cave, they were listening to uh, Diamandigalis, listening to Coyle, and they were starting to, you know, like sort of peel apart the, uh, the, the signifiers of all this music and see that there were like, with similar genetics. And it's really interesting the way that they brought those uh, sounds into their music, and I think that really kind of starts to happen here with
0: beyond dawn for sure. I mean yeah, we get you know from that heavens dark reflection demo, we get something that's like a bit more opaque and difficult and chaotic um, and,
1: and after we um, after we play this, I want to mention a band that will probably become a thread um, in this in, in our conversations as we go on.
0: Um, mm-hmm. You know, one
1: that you you probably already know where I'm going, but let's, you know, let's play this. And- <laughs> sure.
0: This is uh this is an excellent bit from strain down and under. Yeah, so that's that's like this hectic, tense, infernal thing. It, it and you know where their previous dissonance on the on the demos was probably accidental, almost. This time right. it kind of seems deliberate, as if it's a new tool in their. Yeah, course. it's very intentional. Yeah, yeah. So you were going to say something about uh, maybe make a parallel to another band or something.
1: Yes, I, I think this is where, at least for a brief time, you get to hear um, a real Celtic Frost influence come through. I think you'll hear it on the next track too.
0: Yeah, oh. and, and, yeah. We mentioned Frost in the My Dying Bride show. We'll probably mention them a lot throughout this show because, you know, for for both My Dying Bride and Beyond Dawn, anyway, Into the Pandemonium was a particular touchstone for these bands. And Tomega Theory. I mean,
1: anyone playing experimental metal, I mean, that's sure. Yeah, kind of where it begins,
0: sure. and that's a good call because you know we we are we do hear a bit of that seeping in, and we'll we'll continue to you know in the the next couple of years of their development. Uh, the other song on the 7-inch is Bygone, which would later appear on their 1995 full-length debut. We'll get into that album later. It was called Pity Love. Still is called Pity Love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on, on this first version, though, on the 7-inch, it's it's quite a bit different from the later one. There's a female voice by Anna Vesser. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not. Uh, um, I,
1: if, if Klaus uh, Jensen is listening,
0: yeah, uh, <laughs> wow. we, we would
1: appreciate any feedback.
0: Yeah, call us at 1-800-RAD-RESEARCH. So thank you. For, <laughs> uh, leave the pronunciation in, in the uh, voicemail there. Thanks. These um, uh, may apply. <laughs> <laughs> she's, uh, she's juxtaposed against one of the guys screaming in anguish. And I, I believe Tora was the, the guy, the bassist that always did the harsher vocals in this band. Espen hadn't yet gotten into the band. We'll, we'll cross that bridge real soon. <clears throat> but I think Bygone, even, even the 7-inch version, was probably the most cogent musical narrative of any of their songs up to this point. Uh, you, know, right. you, know, you know, what's funny is you mentioned Frost and I had them noted in my notes for this song. So weirdly, we're thinking along the same lines. I find that very strange.
1: That's, yeah, that is an anomaly.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> man, okay. So in 1994, I was doing a fanzine and I want to hear about how you got into Beyond Dawn too. I, I I usually like to talk about that when we do these shows because... Uh, a, a person's personal entry into a band is always interesting to me. Yeah, I, I hope for sure. to listeners. So I got this handful of promos one day f- from Adipocere records out of France. And it was all stuff I'd never really heard of yet. There was Bethlehem's dark metal in there. Mm. There was moon spells under the moon Spell EP. There was some, maybe some other thing by some band called S serenity fades. Uh, that was, I dismissed that. Oh conclusion.
1: yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I actually, um, I actually have that.
0: Is it um, kind of a Paradise Lost-ish sort of thing?
1: Yeah, more or less.
0: You would have that. Yeah, so that was in the batch. Um, there was another one, maybe Depravity, some Finnish death metal band, I, I think. Anyway, also in there was Beyond Dawn's Longing for Scarlet Days. Had no idea what this band was, or most of these bands, really. And it had one of the more obscure covers of, of, this, of this batch. In fact, it, it looked the most inviting to me just because it looked different. It looked weird. Um, I
1: still don't know what it is.
0: Oh, the cover of "Longing for Scarlet yeah. Days." Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it looks like crinkled velvet in the background, and then you get this rectangular picture placed right in the middle of that of some baby's face. It's a, ba- yeah,
1: distorted a baby distorted negative
0: image in green and white. It's it's, but it's yeah. cool. I, and, and you know, I I was definitely immediately intrigued. I put it in, and I don't know if it's because it's one of those things where when you get into a band, that recording remains your favorite. But I just I so love this EP and I so wish it was a full length. Yeah, and I so I, wish they actually, would have done more material in this vein.
1: It's kind of funny you say that because probably pound for pound this is my favorite Beyond Dawn 2. I got into them actually kind of in a weirdly similar way. It was a, it was a um, full page ad on the back of a terrorizer mm. um, when Pity Love came out mm-hmm. and I just remember being really intrigued by the cover yeah. um and in the description so i ordered it from relapse and um and liked it pretty much immediately very cool. i actually like really gotten into um swans around the same time
0: ah well you were, you were primed
1: yeah well i yeah no kidding and especially for later <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> when they
1: get deep into swans worship
0: well uh, yeah we'll get into it with pity love but i i hear a lot of uh, swans and pity love as well.
1: Oh, oh, no, no. It's, it's there for sure.
0: But back to longing for Scarlet days, just wonderful EP. I mean, there's a thick veil over this recording sonically. It just, and I, and I love it. It's, it's got this hazy murky quality. It does. It's yes. always paired well with the band name for me, and the obtuse material. It just—it's kind of a complete package, and it does away with the most part with the kind of—I said a thick veil, but there's there's this obscurity and obtuseness to the yeah, ob- stuff, Obscurity
1: but, is the perfect word for it. Actually. Yeah, and
0: this—but this goes, this gets a little more crystallized, I think. It's still strange and obscure. This is
1: obscure music in terms of it of its exposure, and and it seems. I think kind of forbidding it was forbidding for me, like going back after the fact, after getting into them, like kind of midstream Mm-hmm. This stuff is actually pretty easy to find. Um, all the stuff we played, like if you have a discogs account or something, I would, um, I would urge anyone listening to this to go to, that doesn't own this stuff to go to Discogs and find physical copies. It's really not that hard to find.
0: Yeah. I was going to mention this later. Unfortunately, in a way it's, it's affordable. I don't, I don't mean that in some snobby way because right. uh, what I mean is like, I would like to see this stuff like have a, a higher price on it because I think it's worth more because you know, the quality yeah, I, I agree. This is music I agree. that is worth money. They, but it just speaks to how they just never really did that well. And probably you know obviously more copies were pressed than what the demand was and and so you can get most of their discography pretty cheap i mean if you you know if any i hope there's somebody out there that is like really turned on to beyond dawn by this and just gets everything that, that they possibly can yeah. uh because it would probably only cost Hey, but given the six, high six, profile six, of this
1: nine. podcast act quickly yeah
0: right right because the value is going to skyrocket <laughs>
1: yeah you have days folks <laughs>
0: um yeah so anyway the four song ep wonderful i i want to point out Einar uh, and his drumming it he proves really inventive on this ep right from the first He's song a very
1: it. like po- poetic drummer to me
0: yeah and let's talk about the trombone yes folks i said trombone ladies and gentlemen trombone. It, this is where we get introduced to dog midbrod the trombone player that they would utilize for a couple recordings and this is the first one this could have really felt like a dumb novelty and it just sounds kind of I, I,
1: I read about it before i heard it
0: yeah it just sounds hilarious just to say trombone right
1: i had no idea the capacity for melancholy that a trombone could have
0: dude that was the word in my notes it, it, there's no yeah. other better word for it it's so bleak it's
1: just this mournful loping sound and it's the perfect compliment to Beyond on dawn.
0: Oh God. Yeah. And, and how I'd like to know how they happened upon that. Like, were they just like kind of recording and going, you know, this is wonderful stuff, but we need some extra element. We need some sort of instrumentation that we don't have. Like let's do a trombone. Like, like it just never would have occurred to me, no, you know, me either. how they got yeah. there. I don't know, but I'm glad they did. Um, you're going to hear this and we're going to play a little bit from the opening song of the EP, the wonderful cold.
2: The road to forgiveness This room needs no clock Standing on my bare feet In a circle of pain In the truth. Resting at my shoulders Ah uh,
0: that's that's really great stuff. Um I you know the there's a lot to talk about still with that song. I, I love the fractured I've always heard a little bit of Voivod in this EP. Uh, more, more because of aura and, dr- and the drum playing than anything right. else. Meets Carbonized. I think there's a kinship with our favorite Swedish band, Carbonized. And then Celtic Frost, Mesmerized. We were talking about this before. I'm sure we've talked about it in many phone conversations over the years. But this is one of those songs where you can point back to Celtic Frost, Mesmerized.
1: Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it, that song is the beginning of a number of, thing, a number of threads in metal you hear it very very clearly in those vocals and it's like yeah this direct line from that to this to silent enigma yep and then so many things in between
0: yeah into the pandemonium's influence continues on for sure uh also this newer vocal layer this kind of post Death metal, half sung, half spoken growl that I kind of always associate that with some Pyogenesis material, maybe the Second Cemetery. I mean, that, that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, Tim, yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: can can be kind of love hate for me, but I like it here.
1: There's a tipping point. <laughs> it, like I would say, yeah. Sweet X Rated Nothings is the tipping point.
0: <laughs> yeah, we love that. I, I, we I do, I, but I think at that point I tolerate it. We'll probably do. I'm, I'm warning people, we're probably going to do an entire show on Twin Ale Blood by pyogenesis because we both oh, yeah. find that to be the, the the pinnacle of that band and and, and i think they reign that in pretty well there sweet yeah, with I, more F- flow F- yeah well su- and, well and less of that funny vocal uh right. sweet x-ray and nothings has a little too much of it for my liking but too, i love that album otherwise anyway we can talk about some pyogenesis so we should probably just reel it in <laughs> and talk about beyond dawn you like those guys beyond dawn yeah <laughs> so um there's a song on this ep called chaos fear uh that to me that one shows kinship with the Peaceville three who you know we've talked about before, but for any new listeners that may not know, it's Anathema, My Dying Bride, and Paradise Lost. You know the Peaceville label, and again more trombone on this song, and then again I think it draws back to like into the pandemonium with like caress into oblivion and uh, Oriental masquerade.
1: So uh, this next song uh, from the same EP, uh, Clouds Swept Away the Colors, introduces. Um, kind of this, this really sweeping, conspicuously beautiful sound um, that they would continue to explore over the next few records. So it's a break from metal. You get these gorgeous guitar layers and, and, and synth patches, um, and it shows them um, really expanding in a way that they never have before and introducing these new sounds into into their uh, music. And uh really all I can say, so without further ado. Is this cloud swept away the colors?
0: So right here is where I sometimes question our policy to not play full songs because that, that thing is wonderful and it probably shouldn't yeah, be cut, is. but uh, we, we, we have reasons for our policy.
1: And I, I too, I wish I had the presence of mind to mention this beforehand, but I, I really hear the influence of um, some of the, the darker, more mournful side of, of shoedays, um happening in this. You know stuff like early slow dive and and blind Mr. Jones, who actually blind Mr. Jones used flute rather prominently in their music, because this show would be nothing without a mention of flute
0: <laughs> or blind Mr. Jones. <laughs> 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 nice one. So yeah, cloud swept away the colors, man. I I just love it. It's uh, I think it's easily their most accomplished song up to this point, and really.
1: Oh yeah, still, it's yeah, it's very confident.
0: Still one of their best tunes. And, um, so, I mean, we're one year away basically from that seven inch weight and you you couldn't, you you couldn't have expanded more in a year, I don't think. Um, and it's a hint toward what's to come on their first full length. Um, and I think, you know, this is a good time to get into pity love. Although I want to mention that I want to mention they landed on candlelight records after this EP and that kind of started this pattern for them of hopping from really cool label to really cool label. I mean, think about it, the Adiposeer, pretty respectable label, um, to candlelight to Misanthropy, to Ibon, to Peaceville.
1: Yeah, which, I mean, every one of those labels has done something that I love.
0: Well, and, and they're all eclectic. And I think, like, if if you took yeah. a survey in 95 or 96, 97, 98, in this period that we're talking about of labels, and they said, hey, who wants this really weird Norwegian post-metal <laughs> avant-garde band? Like, all of those labels you can see raising in their hand. I mean, like, Nuclear Blast didn't go after them. You, metal Blade didn't go. You know what you I mean? Think like,
1: they, like, got together one night? And they like rolled dice. They're like, all right, <laughs> you, know, you roll seven, you get Beyond Dawn.
0: Kind of, because it, other, than, <laughs> other than the two Peaceville records, there was just one, it was a new label every recording. Right. Yeah, so um, pretty cool little uh, resume there for, for, the, for the label history. Um, for so we sure. get Pity Love in 1995, man. Relatively streamlined compared to the EP because it, it takes some things away and it kind of focuses. It's very focused very focuses more on some other stuff. We've already mentioned these bands, but Celtic Frost meets White Light Era Swans is kind of how I've always characterized That's it. That's it, man. Also, it's almost
1: like, at yeah. first it was kind of monochromatic to me. Yes. Um, because it, it does have this one sustained mood, but th- there are nuances within that.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. And it, it's a trying album, and I think this is the point where their music becomes really, it's mood dependent. Uh, yes you can't just toss this stuff in uh, springtime you know top down let's roll you know
1: some fucking pity love man
0: (laughs) (laughs) i also hear a little bit of death in june
1: yes i think yeah no i think a lot of the um yeah the english stuff that came out of the early 80s like and some of the like the neo-folk tendencies you know that you find in death in june and current 93 yeah are are prevalent here
0: yeah yeah so I, i Einar showed himself on longing as as a great drummer. Um, I think the pairing of Espen's low voice here with Tora's harsher voice really matured and kind of came into its best and final effect, really on Pity Love.
1: Yeah, I was about to say that this is pretty much the end of that.
0: Yeah, I, I'm glad it's there. It would have been too soon to drop the harsh stuff. Um, I agree, and really wouldn't have fit on the later stuff. Espen is in total like I think of these vocals when I hear Espen's voice, and which is really maturing and kind of like becoming. He's defining his vocal approach at this point, um, kind of crystallizing it. I think of Michael Giro, of course. I think of Peter Steele a little bit. Um, I think of Peter Murphy, and I think of Carl McCoy. I
1: was about to say, like, yeah, yeah. Like any sort of, you know, like low, you know, baritone goth singer accomplished, though, may come to mind here.
0: But if you think about all those guys, maybe not Peter Murphy, but the other three – like he's less aggressive than most of those guys. He's still communicating this dark misery, but it just stays. Yeah, as I was
1: about to say it's like this. It, it's almost like this resigned kind of misery. <laughs> totally. You know, it just like those stays other guys normal. still have a little fight in them, but yeah. but Espen's just given up.
0: No, he doesn't care. Yeah, it. Which is in a, in
1: a, yeah. Yeah, no, that's the appeal of it.
0: Right, right. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, never a bygone. Revisits the song bygone from the 1993 seven inch Um, vocal approach is pretty different. This pity love version is slower and less noisy, but you know, by in in two years they're, they're, they're really kind of cleaning up their sound a little bit, but it's still dark and obfuscated in a way. Right.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even like that stays with them forever. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 they've never been one to like just hand out uh, easily
0: although i would I, once we get to the final album i would argue that that one really brightened things up that was a that was the morning album like it it was like oh sunshine like there's there's a lot well, of they,
1: the cover's telling too right
0: sure sure
1: yeah.
0: before we play some music i want to mention the song tear dance that's one of my favorites and and they haven't done much up to this point that could be called catchy but this has that heaven is weeping for me line and that for some reason right. always sticks with me and it stuck with me from like the first listen until present day.
1: Well, no, I think you'll, you find it on revelry too, uh, which I would never call a catchy album, but there are some, some hooks on that that just stay with you. Very, oh, very insidious. Yeah. Subtle hooks. And definitely. I mean,
0: definitely. But, uh, there's an there's another song and <laughs> in radical research fashion, we love great, weird, interesting song titles. Um, this one is called as the evening falters, the dogs howl. That's a great title. Uh, we're going to play a little bit yeah. of that for you.
1: This song is like a perfect characterization of this record. Uh, I think it's a highlight too. But the, the clip that we play, it has this like phantasmagoric synth that just kind of fades in and out. It, it like pitch bends and it moves between notes in, in this really, really compelling way. When you listen to this record, if you know this record, um, it's hard to find things that kind of stick out especially if you don't know it really well like i'm going back to this record just as a you know as as a uh, a function of this podcast and um and this one really stuck out to me this time it just had this kind of distinct mood about it but it also had a mood that captured the the essence of this record
0: so yeah let's listen to as the evening falters the dogs howl More trombone there, which that instrument was such a novel idea, even in the mid 90s, when the impetus provided by Frost exploded in European metal. I don't know if you you probably remember this, Hunter, where it wasn't uncommon to see like instruments like violin and harp and horns and woodwinds and uh, other stuff tossed into the mix. No, it
1: was almost expected.
0: Yeah, there was so many, at that point, suddenly all these heavy bands with like, if they had any kind of gothic or orchestral or prog element, like they were throwing non-traditional instrumentation into the mix. But there was also reaction to that. You know, there, there were a lot of like either fanzine writers or music- musicians themselves who rejected all of that new exotic stuff. And it was looked at as kind of like an impurity. And well, I
1: think it was, it was also looked at as a crutch. Yeah. Um, like okay. if, if your metal didn't have enough substance, then you had to supplement it with, like you said, a violin or yeah. A cello.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or, and course, or female vocals became, um, like, like the, the ultimate.
0: For sure. That. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you, and you, of course, by that, you could tell the people that loved or hated into the pandemonium. You know, it's funny. Cause like now there's like room for everybody. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it did in the mid nineties where I, I swear, like at, at some point it felt like there was a war of sensibilities going on. You know, it was, well, like yeah, a, it was like it was like a border war, essentially, on how you should conduct one's metal band.
1: Yeah, no, I th- I think all the the boundaries have have been torn down at this point. Uh, one Actually, thing like I-, I kind of enjoyed that tension back then.
0: Oh sure, yeah. I mean, at
1: least it was oh, interesting. Sure. I mean, like it, it, like now, nothing's shocking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and we've talked about this before on other episodes and we'll probably continue to, to mention it. But like the 90s, metal was hardly dead. It was, in fact, it was evolving in so many different Super ways alive. and exciting ways that right. that argument just never holds water for me. I understand it from yeah, never did. the point of the mainstream, but I don't, who cares? Metal metal should never but be... But like
1: if you're really into metal, like did you ever really care about the mainstream to begin with? Well, that's just it. I, well, I think... Yeah, I, like,
0: well. I, I think once it became a codified and huge thing where like, you know, you had Slayer playing these huge festivals uh, with, with some very big non-metal bands. Yeah. I think, I think it did become uh, somewhat of a mainstream concern for some people. To me, it should have never been looked at under the lens of the mainstream or how well it was doing was based on sales. Bullshit. You know? Well, I
1: think that a lot of metal fans have a very personal, almost custodial relationship with the music. Sure. And something happens when your private band becomes a uh, public domain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's always been a tension in metal.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I have friends like that um, that dislike bands for extra musical reasons.
0: Uh, there's a person we know <laughs> I'm not going to name him, but you know, he, he got out of Opeth when it became everybody's band and it's like, it's too bad because, and 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 I think
1: frankly, he got out of way before they became everybody's band.
0: And he wasn't, he wasn't the only one. I mean, I, you know, I know other people, but um, I just think that's just a ridiculous uh, measuring stick as to how you relate to a band and and if they, if if you're going to listen to them and bring them into your DNA. Right. Um, Because, you know, I mean, not to get too far off the track, but look, I, you know, I was Metallica were my band back in high school and even, um, maybe even early or later junior high. Like I was like one of two people in the school that, that knew them and they were my band. And this this was a, this is great secret. It was just, you know, uh, I felt like I was holding on to something really valuable and then they became everybody's band. But Shit, I thought it was great that that master of puppets was like kind of being hailed by people who were throwing out their Bon Jovi albums because they were finding something better in, in Metallica. something more of more substance.
1: Well, I mean, that was the thing for me, you know, I mean, Opeth was a band for me. I, I, you know, I was into Opeth, you know, with orchid and I remember them coming over here for Blackwater park. And I remember seeing them at the masquerade in Atlanta and there were literally women there with, with roses throwing the roses on stage. And I thought this is fantastic. Sure. You know, well, yeah. This is a validation of our, their, all their hard work. Uh,
0: like, that was, Yeah, that was my thinking with, with Metallica and a slew of others who sort of became way more popular in the late 80s because I'd, I'd rather see these bands getting attention and respect uh, and making money from their art than some of the crap that was going around. Uh, what, that you had to, you know,
1: who am I to resent someone for their success? Yeah, <laughs> you sure, know?
0: sure. Yeah, and, and wh- whether the music is good or not is a whole other issue, and, and we, right. won't, we won't get into that. Um, so back to Beyond Dawn's Pity Love. Um, Embers is a song that I really like. It's got this agonized, droning trudge. You, can't, you can say that about most of these, but it just <laughs> That's the album. I know, right? It, it sticks out for me for some reason. There's something about the vocal cries in the latter half, which you'll, you'll dig this, but we've never talked about it, but they weirdly recall Alan Dubin from Old.
1: Yeah, I could hear that.
0: Totally. Like, because he had that insane kind of petulant child tone to his cries, sure. right? <laughs> and that's how they sound to me in Embers. And petulant. Also,
1: it's, a, it's a good word.
0: He was totally like that. And, and he was pretty monochromatic, but I, I like Dubin a lot. But, um, but yeah, also the fried and kind of fuzzy bass on Embers is pretty great. For me, this album, I like When Beauty Dies, Tear Dance on Embers probably the most. Um, some of it drones for me. Like, this is, this is an album that I like so a lot. But it's probably I probably don't like it as much as most fans. It kind of slows down for me near the end. Now you picked a song to play from this called "Ripe as the Night," which is the second to last song. I want you to talk about that one, and maybe maybe in the listening, and maybe with more listens, I'll discover that one as, as a highlight.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this one um, it, for me, this is kind of their final their final cry into the night. It's it's also um, the it's also where. They sort of make their peace with their early years, mm. um, and and start to migrate into other um, distinctly non-metal hemispheres.
0: <laughs> I can't no, I can't argue against that at all. Let's let's listen yeah. to this okay. one. This is uh, "Ripe as the Night."
1: so that's kind of a, I have a number of things to say about that
0: go for yeah go for uh, it
1: so you you get this really kind of deliberate architectural drumming from einar you get espen in total michael gerard mode like as deep as he's gotten at that point the the maniacal vocals remind me um if not an execution then at least in spirit of like 666 uh international aerodontics guard you know what mm. i'm talking about
0: man yeah yeah, like, yeah
1: just those like just out of the mind vocals yeah. Um yeah, I mean I I just I love this song so much. And like I, I totally agree with you, man. This album it drones, it kind of bleeds together. I think that's probably uh intentional. Yeah. Um yeah. But, but this this one always leapt out at me as a as a highlight. And I I think it, it still illustrates um the style and the sense of the album very well, but um they're just things that tie it back to those early years that um that that I really love
0: no i'm well well considered i i i yeah, I hear you totally i I think maybe you know it's it's easy to do this with with almost any album, but um that that is at least like pity love and that it's kind of um one thing or kind of monochromatic i mean, I'm not saying this doesn't have depth, there's a lot of great elements oh, to sure, it, sure. a lot of great ingredients, but maybe it's just like after forty eight minutes, I'm not ready for the next two i'm I'm good, you know what I mean <laughs> right. Uh, so I, I, I've always thought this song, this album was like maybe one or two songs too long, but do I love pity love? And do I, do I respect where it lands in their discography and really in, in the, in the European metal realm of the mid nineties? Absolutely. So, uh, this is an interesting period then. I'm not sure how much you know about this, but I'll, I'll kind of give you some insight. I, this is around the time that I got in touch with Einar, or he got in touch with me and he had that Dawn Razor fanzine. And, um, right, you know, I let him know that I was really into Beyond Dawn. And he sent me a tape in, it was either really late 96 or early 97. And it was labeled uh, Unofficial Promo 1996. And um, it was six songs. It was called In Reverie Advance CD 97. What I've later found out was these six songs were intended to appear on their 96 album, which was their very deliberate attempt to move away completely from metal it was going to be like semi-acoustic, no drum kit. It was going to be just, you know, light percussion from him. right? Um, and so this material was on there and I was really just blown away with it, kind of how advanced it, it seemed, or at least just how, how far it advanced their, their their approach and how it was stripped, so how so stripped down it was.
1: I remember this because um, this, if I'm not mistaken, um, appeared on your first ever Metal Maniacs playlist
0: yeah okay so that's that's I, early I remember, 97 that's late 96 early 97 so right, yeah. i remember
1: being yeah super frustrated by my inability to find it
0: friends hunter's predilection for for remembering metal maniacs playlists and not just mine but other writers that he liked is insane you could probably go okay satiricon cover 99 Borovoy cregan and he would know what was on? No, that. no,
1: I wouldn't know anything about Borvoy Kriegen in '99. <laughs> well, anyway, ask me I, about Borvoy Kriegen in '93, and we're good.
0: I've heard you rattle off Zoller and Maycock and Wagner playlists in, in this uncanny way. I just, I love how much you paid attention to the playlist on Maniacs. So, <laughs> I didn't know you then, but thanks that for was, that. That was
1: my go-to page, man. <laughs> I get a new, ep, I get a new issue, and it was like straight to the playlist.
0: <laughs> That's pretty awesome.
1: That's my buying guide, man.
0: Maybe that'll be a uh, Radical Research Sneak Attack 10.5 where I can just quiz you on on playlist. So you better bone up, buddy. <laughs> okay, so also on this tape was um, what he called Unofficial Promo 96 and it had four songs that ended up on Revelry in 98. So what I've since found out was they were going to do this this album that became in Reverie, um next and the label just was not into it. Um, and I'm not sure if that means... Candlelight wasn't into it or misanthropy because, you know, they were between those labels at this time. I really don't know. Right. Either way. Uh, it was, it was, the kibosh was put on that and they started recording what became revelry. So, so that's a little bit of uh, foreshadowing for the next part of our talk. So we get revelry in 1998. Now this is, you know, they were recording the in reverie stuff in 96, T- scrap that, yep. um, started recording revelry in, um, also 96 97. and 97 and it finally surfaced in 98. This is one of their best recordings in my opinion. I put it up there with Heaven's Dark Reflection and um, Frisch and Longing for Scarlet Days. Those are, those are, to me, are the big four for this.
1: Longing, longing for Scarlet Days, Revelry, and Frisch are my three favorite Beyond Dawn records.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Um,
1: re- recording.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, we, we still have a trombone in the mix. It's played by someone other than dog mid on revelry now. So he's already left. And the music is, I think a very decisive final move away from metal. Right.
1: I, I don't think this is a metal record. They've divorced themselves from metal. Yep. I th-
0: Still depressive. We could use the word upbeat, more,
1: but like more, more textured, more diverse stylistically, mm-hmm. uh, more colorful.
0: Um, I, I use the term upbeat in a relative sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um the guitar uh
1: yeah, whenever you have a chorus the like where the main word is rape um <laughs> you're you're talking uh upbeat in relative terms
0: right That's, right but i think you know what i mean Because you know the guitars aren't, aren't sure. droning or tortured um the vocals are they're still they're still aspen they're always going to be miserable but they feel like they've kind of overall i think the album feels like it's escaped the suicide attempt of pity love because that that pity love is right. A downer, man. Come on, that's a downer. It's a
1: bleak, bleak record.
0: Yeah. So, so things are relatively brighter and hopeful here. Um, I, you know, look at the look at the album cover. They're having like a garden party,
1: a picnic. Know? Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> so they, they, so they emerge from the murk of the past just fine. I think. I think that. I'm not sure if that was intentional of what they were trying to say, but it 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 always evoked that for me. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, but I mean, there's this like, uh, like Alice in Wonderland, like fairy tale. Um, component to the the visuals on this record
0: for sure um, yeah for sure
1: and that was i think it was kind of going around that was kind of in the spirit of the times too though
0: yeah you're probably right yeah this age,
1: sort of whims this you know whimsy like mm-hmm. you said they escaped the the uh the suicidal tendencies of pity love and you know they came out on the other side maybe a little more hopeful but also weirder
0: yeah definitely um in that initial tape that Einar sent me, I was always taken by this. Well, I was taken by Breathe the Jackal as well, but there was also a song called Side by Side on it that eventually resurfaced on Revelry as uh, Resemblance. So let's listen to a little bit of that one, and we'll come back and talk a little bit about it.
1: I mean, yeah, I, again, I, I hesitate to use the word catchy, um, but the band sounds so confident. Love Espen's vocals. That trombone melody, just listen to that a few times and that will stick with you.
0: Yeah, th- yeah. This, this this, is one of those few albums. The out- band
1: sounds so confident, too. Yeah. Like they sound like they've really kind of settled into who they are.
0: For sure. For sure. I mean, this is, this is a defining moment for them. And, yeah. you know, of course they wouldn't really stick here uh, either, but uh, I, I think it's also, you can tell it's a product of, you know, literally two or three years of, of them working on it and retooling stuff. But yeah, great song. This, I don't think there's a moment on revelry that I don't like. I, I just think it's, um, it's a high point for them.
1: It was like, I mean, it was one of my favorite albums from that year
0: yeah uh stuck the song is it, it that's uh, kind of the first hint we get of their electropop future do you, you think so
1: yeah for sure
0: and the next song we're going to play also from revelry is life's sweetest reward I, I think this one's really interesting einar is playing on is it is
1: really interesting <laughs> i mean like the drumming alone
0: yeah well that's uh, that's the foundation of it that's the anchor it's, it's like, like
1: yeah yeah let's like graph transylvanian hunger onto like art pop
0: Totally, man. Yeah, good call. Frantic, <laughs> jarring drum beat. Um, music moves against it, maybe with it, but at this like yeah. unhurried pace. Both. It's it's a weird thing. It's super inventive. It, it you know what it reminds me of though? It's not without precedent because it reminds me a little bit of disembowelment because they would sometimes just throw out this like one chord riff, if you can call it a riff, or maybe two chords. And then just have this like blasting underneath the slowness, right?
1: Right. Oh, totally. So I don't, I I cannot recall exactly what you see. So like, I actually read your review of this album in Maniacs before Mm -hmm. I bought it. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember exactly what you said about the song. But what you said about the song, and I'd already been a fan, and I'm I'm sure I would have bought it anyway. But like what you said about the song literally made me call Metal Disc. And order it. Cha ching. What was her name? Was it her name Ophelia or Delia or uh
0: you I She was awesome. Lila Ly- Lila. Lila, Wonder where Lila's at. I hope she hasn't sold Lyla, all of her CDs. CD's still rule. Remember. Man. I'm gonna, yeah. It's taken sure. eight it's taken eight episodes for me to say this, but CDs still rule, people.
1: You yes, they do. It. It's a completely legitimate medium.
0: <laughs> get over it, people. Uh yeah. <laughs> So anyway, let's listen to life's sweetest reward.
1: So I feel like we've spent a portion of this podcast trying to convince everyone how difficult this band is, um, but they really came into their own as as melodicists on this record, and I think a lot of the the melodies on this record are incredibly striking and also enduring. Um, I mean, I you know I've I've had this record for twenty years, but it, I mean you know you, you get a lot of records, right? I mean you only have so much time in a day, in like. I haven't listened to this record in a while and going back to it, I was amazed at how, how deeply internalized some of these melodies were, you know, it's just like, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, it's just like part of me.
0: I've had um, that happen with this album as well.
1: That's yeah. I mean, it, this, like you say, like they, there are links to their earlier music on this, but like they were really, really striking out on something new on, 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 revelry.
0: Yeah. Well, you make a good point about the melodies. Cause I, I think there's a lot of melodic ideas here that just um, couldn't have possibly come out on pity love, whether it was, yeah, right whether it was, you know, the material itself or just the way the guys were feeling and, and, and were progressing as musicians. But it just... Um,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't think that the context would accommodate those melodies. No,
0: no. Huh. And, and here, here we are. This is why we value this band. We're in like 98 with an album recorded in 97. And we're still only a few years from that, that other stuff we heard earlier. <laughs> it's not that far away. And it's just, it's really impressive. And again, it's uh, other than that really super early stuff, it's, it's the same four guys. Pretty impressive. So next we look at uh, In Reverie. We've talked about this a little bit already, but this is what eventually became of the Buried 96 Sessions. Came out in 99 on Italy's Ibon Records.
1: So it was was, uh, 500 copies, right?
0: Very limited, but I think they eventually produced more because I was... yeah, I was in touch with them. Cuz Ibon
1: on those or the the 90s Ibon records were all pretty limited.
0: They were. They were, but I think in the 2000s Ibon had some demand for uh, for a few more so they did maybe like 500,000 more. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but um this so so In Reverie was six songs. I don't know if it you know I never really consider it a full album. It's just really it, I think a, that
1: the reissue had like 10 songs on it.
0: Oh really? I, yeah, yeah, I don't I okay. I guess I have the first pressing cuz it Yeah. Yeah, it's the six songs from 96, right. uh, the ones that Einar had sent me, and then two drastically reorganized Revelry songs. Um, Three Steps for the Chameleon, How to Seduce Modesty became Chameleon, and Phase to Phase is on Re- In Reverie as a remix called Phase Juxtaposition. Yes. But the meat for me, the meat of In Reverie is the, those six songs, those kind of brand new things that they yep. were toying around with before Revelry. Dude, this is <laughs> this is a really stark listen. Uh, and it's um, like
1: it like yeah. it it borders on Swans plagiarism in places. I actually played this for a, a big Swans fan one time and he was like, Man, Michael Girard should file a suit. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that you, you actually you bring up a really interesting point in in that the starkness of it kind of foregrounds that influence. You know what I'm saying? Like it's the the texture and the um the obscurity and the the wildness of of revelry it it seems more beyond dawn but yeah. when you kind of strip away all those layers like you start to hear that influence a little more
0: clearly. yeah i, I think you're right yeah i yeah sure um and i don't but think that's, it's still
1: it's still beyond dawn
0: i don't think it's a condemnation of them but i also think that you're you know you're right beyond dawn is truly some of that more electric stuff with with weird horns thrown in or whatever uh, but man, this is a this is a dreary atmosphere. This this album right. or this thing, I, I have trouble listening to it on any regular basis. Although I love it very much, but yeah, no walls of electric guitar, no drum kit, sparse, minimal percussion only. Uh, Espen's monotone drone is agonizing. It's just, it's dude, it's just. <laughs> let's just call it what it is. It's sad, sad music.
1: It is, and I think that's what it's supposed to be.
0: Yeah, so uh, the third song, "Prey," is to me one of the band's best uses of trombone. Really great effect of like kind of deep longing and disconsolation. Uh, Atmosphere is a cover of the Joy Division song from 1980. I think you're more in tune with Joy Division than I am. Did you know that song before?
2: Probably. Yes.
1: That, that's that's kind of like that's yep, their hit.
0: Yeah, I have to admit a little bit of ignorance about Joy Division. I've of course heard them, never never latched onto them completely. There's a quiet intensity to it In Reverie, as I, as I've said before. I'm not not usually in the mood for it, but when I am, I'm blown away. Can we call it a forbidding listen? for sure let's get into the song we're going to play from in reverie now this this one is called naked how to produce honesty It's a little bit of a uh, callback to chameleon how to seduce modesty from reverie in terms of the title right. this for me has always been the highlight and we're going to listen to a pretty long snippet of this it's a six and a half minute song and it was really difficult to convey the song in, in much less time. I cut out about three minutes of it. Um, the dialogue you hear in this is from the Wim Wenders film Paris, Texas. Have you seen that movie?
1: Yeah, I saw it a long time ago. What'd you think of it? It's weird. <laughs> it's depressing.
0: <laughs> How strange that Beyond Dawn would like use it for. A song.
1: You know, but like it, it too, like and not to um, not to divert us, but you divert. bring up joy. Um, like I've been talking about Michael Girard the whole time, but like Ian Curtis has to be a huge influence on Espen. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I've never even thought about it, honestly. It's, this is a revelation like happening like mid podcast.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, but that's partly why we do this. I, you know, I guess so. also, um, I think, speaking about Espen, like he wasn't an original member and I don't think he became a focal point until revelry. And, and I think on In Reverie, of course, because, and this stuff is recorded sort of before then, conceived before then anyway, this is really where he comes into his own and becomes almost the focal point of the band. Right. And, and I think he's great on Naked, but back to the movie dialogue from Paris, Texas, like, I think this is one of the best uses of movie samples in any song ever, because there've been so many yeah. of those. They, of course, use a lot of the sample and they kind of build the song around it. Um, I hope you know, everybody... I was
1: about knows. to say, I think it's like kind of the, I think they probably wrote around the sample
0: exactly yeah it's kind of the opposite of what usually happens you know where the sample's just a little bit of spice thrown in there
1: like space divest i mean it's it's less so but it's another one of those examples of like where a movie sample or movie dialogue can like really really add you know atmosphere
0: yeah i space weirdly space divest is one of my favorite dream theater songs i think that's such a such a masterpiece i really kind of pointed to where kevin moore would go later so the dialogue takes a main role here so yeah, I, I find this song incredibly evocative and emotionally crushing if I'm listening to it in, in, in the weaker or terrible moment, right?
2: <laughs> well, see, even
1: the, the title is so suggestive.
0: True. Naked yeah, How I to mean, Produce Honesty. And I think the dialogue they chose is, is just withering in terms of uh, yeah, emotional content. So let's yeah. listen to Naked How to Produce Honesty. This is a long snippet. Yeah. Sink into this for about three minutes.
3: There you go. The guy was quite a bit older. He was kind of raggedy and wild. And she was very beautiful, you know? Yeah. And together they turned everything into a kind of an adventure. She liked that. Just an ordinary trip down to the grocery store was full of adventure. They were always laughing at stupid things. He liked to make them laugh. They didn't much care for anything else, you know, because all they wanted to do was be with each other. They were always together. It sounds like
2: they were very happy.
3: <laughs> yes, they were. They were real happy. And he. I loved her more than he ever felt possible. Soon they are done. jealous of him, that she didn't really care about him. Jealousy. सुनने
0: fun times <laughs> it's picnic at the beach buddy
1: it is man yeah. who's got the hacky sack
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so man. <laughs> so I, I think in some way even though it was recorded before revelry and, and is kind of like a later release you know recorded in 96 re- released in 99 the album we get next is um them hitting a bit of a wall. So I almost feel like something like naked is kind of a high point and a pinnacle and, and uh, right. so maybe, maybe in, in some way, the end of an era for this band.
1: The next record. I mean, I was always kind of, I don't know if it's too strong to say that I was at odds with it, but it always left me a little cold.
0: I agree with you. I've never connected deeply with it. Um, right. I think half of it's even quite good. Uh, and it also
1: yeah, I, I do too, but yeah, I'm not sure that you can connect super deeply with it.
0: Yeah, I, point. right. I, I, like I said, I think they were like kind of running in place. Like it was like, oh, this is Beyond Dawn. This is how we sound. They finally did something that was possibly a lateral step or uh, a more uninspired step. We'll play some things from it that are that are really good. Um, before we get there, I kind of want to talk about the label they jumped to. They jumped to Peaceville. And weirdly, yeah. <laughs> this wasn't intentional, of course, but we've mentioned Peaceville more than probably any other record label so far <laughs> in the short life of Radical Research, I love the label. I, I'm a big fan. And yeah, so am I, of course. Yeah, I mean, but think about '98 and '99, when which is where we're at now. Peaceville were known for more than just the Peaceville three of English doom death bands and Autopsy, because Autopsy are a perennial mainstay on Peaceville. By '99, they had Catatonia and Opeth. They had landed on the label um, at the gates. Pentagram, and you also had Dark Throne, of course. Uh, yeah, Dark Throne. yeah, sure. Yeah, being one of their biggest selling bands throughout the '90s. So, in some weird way, I think Beyond Donnelly fits totally nicely into that scheme, even though they're probably just a bit less metal than all of that. But spiritually, I think they still fit. That's the word. So, Electric Sulking Machine, we mentioned we don't. Neither one of us really connect with it a ton. Uh, I like the production quite a bit. It's got a fuller sound and is a bit more present than Revelry. Crisper, maybe.
1: Yeah, Revelry is is sort of uh, m- it's muted. The right word.
0: Uh, it's a, it's the right word for a lot of early Beyond Dawn, but I still think they had they were carrying that along with them still. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like the, yeah, this like like a hesitation to the production on that album.
0: Right. Right. Not, it never
1: really jumps
0: out right not so distinctive who knows if that that might be partially mastering who knows um, I mean,
1: yeah sure sure
0: but we're going to listen to two songs from electric sulking machine that show the album's stronger sides we're going to first check out certain qualities and come back and talk about it
3: I'm to make you feel connected to are, are you good Your love's flavor was Or was it nothing Of understanding,
2: all you there?
1: like a semi catchy alt rock tune yeah I mean it really like kind of streamlined you know like traditional rock instrumentation traditional rock song narrative um, you said it earlier like it was kind of a wall it's like they'd kind of reached an impasse like you know we have been evolving so quickly almost sort of out of their own agency um, and they finally kind of got to a point where um, they don't know where to go next. And it's really, I mean, like, they, we talked about the the melodies on Revelry. And it's almost like, let's just kind of apply this to a rock album.
0: Yeah. You know, it's it, it, it's a good call with the alt-rock. I haven't thought about it that way. And now that I'm looking at the packaging, as you just as you say that, it looks like an alt-rock album from 99. I mean, right. if you didn't know about their past you might've been picking this up along with like any other numerous alt rock bands that have since been forgotten. So yeah, that's a, that's an interesting viewpoint for sure. Another song that's pretty cool. Uh, also right in the middle of the album, like certain qualities is, uh, is a song called fairy liquid. Now fairy liquid, another great song title. I can't help but think of LSD when you say fairy liquid, I have no idea well, yeah, if that's, if that's the intent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, both these songs, I think, illustrate a, a small but kind of worthwhile forward step for their sound. I mean, there is stuff on this album that just doesn't, uh, doesn't move forward at all for them.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
0: We get some pretty exciting rhythms here, mesh with some pretty cool electronic sounds. Uh, and that's possibly a bit of foreshadowing. Um, I was about
1: to say, uh, th- yeah. there's more to come.
0: Right. We even hear the trombone rearing its head yet again. So I'm glad they kept it in this late. uh, And I think this is one of the final times we're going to hear that odd trademark. This is a fairy liquid from electric sulking machine. Yeah, man, it, for what we've said about this album so far, flat out, brother, that's a good song.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Both
0: are. So there's some other stuff on here. Are, are there other highlights for you on this album?
1: All, like the most interesting stuff for me happens in the middle of the record.
0: Totally totally agree. That uh, The yeah. song Aj or A-A-G? Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's got a vibrant… Which is
1: probably why I had such a time with it um, for for a while. Because it it really kind of takes a long time to develop
0: yeah, me too the the opener um violence heals and addictions are private uh both of those they just don 't stand out, and it 's only the third song no, kind you', you kind of get going by the third song, but man that 's you know that 's a little bit detrimental on any album the song the song aj a a g e I, I love that it 's got a bouncy, vibrant kind of aesthetic, more electronics coming into the picture uh, that 'll figure in soon which would be uh
1: de for uh, you know albums at this time.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and the female voice taking center stage, great seductive singing. I really that's a, that's a highlight as well. I we didn't pick it to play right. it because just for for time reasons really. Popist for verboten uh could be from the in reverie sessions almost. Another one I like is Pacific Blue Disorder. Some really cool horns on this and uh, more more energy. by
1: the way. What's that? I said I love the title, by the way.
0: Yeah, Pacific Blue Disorder, another another great song title from Beyond Dawn, uh, and a lot more energy than we should ever expect from this band, right? <laughs> right.
1: But that actually segues us nicely into where we're going next.
0: Completely. Go ahead. Let's let's talk about Frish.
1: So this is actually one of my favorite Beyond Dawn records. It's their last record. I, I love this record. And for a long time, Jeff was a little slower to come along to this record. Yep. But as a result of this podcast, I think he can confidently say that this is one of his favorite Beyond Dawn records now. Yeah. Right?
0: My my recent listen, I I was blown away. No, totally. Seriously, away.
1: this is yeah. a brilliant record. Like it, yep. it makes the lull in between uh, revelry and this like all worth it completely. Um, sure. it's eclectic. It's it's. Evolved, It's confident. Like it's, it has an identity all of its own. So one thing that we cannot say about beyond Dawn up until this point is that they rock, right?
0: <laughs> right. That they were rock and they were bright and they were a little bit like hopeful. And we had, there was some sunshine, there were some bright colors flying by. We can't say any of that. No, now we can,
1: but you can't, I mean, really like, I mean, it's just been, it's literally been one funeral procession after the next. <laughs> Some, you know, like some of the processions had complimentary acid, Mm -hmm. some were sober, but none of them rocked. Mm -hmm. So anyway, this is the first song off of Frisch. It's called Far From Showbiz and it shows a decidedly new dimension to this band. And um, without further ado, uh, this is Far From Showbiz.
0: Man, wow! One thing I gotta say is uh, when they come out of that middle part and just get bouncy, who knew? <laughs> who knew they'd ever get there?
1: Do you um? Do you know the Primal
0: Scream record "Exterminator"? I know about it. I don't believe I've ever probably ever heard it.
1: Yeah, like I, I can't help but think that they were listening to that a lot. Really, it came out in two thousand. Right. Um, so kind of in, in you know in between uh, those records um okay. hmm. but that mix yeah. of electronics and like rock um it's i mean people plenty of people have done that but like th- this approach is fairly singular yeah I, interesting I
0: and for them yeah. it's 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 a new territory i i also we should comment that um from 1999 to 2003 that's that's the gap between sulking machine and fresh uh, right the longest gap they had between records for sure uh and i think we hear a little bit of that evolution you know, coming, coming forward.
1: We're about to hear the the influence of another extremely important record that happened in those intervening years. So tell us a little bit about a bloody comeback, Jeff.
0: Yeah, this is, um, for me, well, one thing it does is it coins the phrase we're down with species of any kind, which was the final (laughs) record they ever put out two 2005 vinyl only remix album. So anyway, that's, that's a little bit of trivia, but my favorite part of this song well, the whole song is a highlight from the album, but the, the break that's glitchy, can we call it glitch? Yes. Wow. Yes. I mean, wow. That's, it, um, this is them shedding more skins and, and showing us some yeah. new stuff. Yeah.
1: Not an uncommon thing to have heard after this. You know, we'll probably do a Radiohead show at some point. Jeff and I are both huge fans. Kid A, I mean, Kid A is a seismic event in, in pop music history. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it rewired everything it like at the at the at point where rock music had nothing new to say kid a came in and said there's quite a bit more to say
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> no mm-hmm. one's
1: really followed up after that Unfortunately. well said well said but it, and it, it's done plenty um, since then as I said but like this this song takes the the kid a like futurist uh, approach to pop music and um, and applies the intrinsic Norwegian uh, weirdness to it. And I I just I love the song. It's a highlight of the record. I think it's just super well done. I can't imagine them like ending on a, a higher note. I, I I don't know, man. I, I my enthusiasm for this song is um kind of boundless, really. Uh, and I hope I'm not uh, building it up too much. But I, I just love where they went with this. I love how they took that influence and just mutated it. Um, yeah, let's rock it. Let's let's no, listen to right, uh, yeah, let's, just, let's, let's just, listen to another
0: greatly titled song, Bloody Comeback. <laughs> Sounds like a deftone song title, doesn't it?
1: It it does. <laughs> it <laughs> all
0: totally right. does, actually. This is it.
3: As a world of coincidence Distant and careless Unfurls around me (laughs)
0: <laughs> what what more can really like
1: i mean yeah, i mean I, I guess you've hear you, like you, you've heard bands like hot chip and lcd sound system yeah. do similar kind of things since yep. then but yep. man dude beyond dawn was the vanguard
0: well it, it, it also didn't I mean, come from the band that did heaven's dark reflection to me, to no. me great music is also even greater when it's co- sort of contextual oh, um, oh absolutely and I, and I find bloody comeback to be similar to among the sedatives. Uh, a, a song earlier on the record uh, features kind of video gamey sounds. Yeah, it's just they're really exploring now. They're really having a lot of fun in the studio. And it's a it's a damn shame that you know. Yeah, it's
2: like, a
1: great word, man. They actually sound like they're having fun.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Really? Uh, finally, <laughs>
1: we, <laughs> yeah. jeez, guys. I
0: know, right? What, what's the problem? What's problem. Life yeah. is good. <laughs> Enjoy it. Um. Uh, The Right People is part of the Right Trilogy. I noticed on this album, it's got songs four, five, and six. The Righteous Underground, The Right People, and Right Money. The Right People has this Rhodes piano by a session player named Marcus Clive. It's like, who let Billy Preston in, you know?
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, we want Chuck Lavelle to do a session.
0: (laughs) And and another one I want to comment on is maybe deeper, because it's got a squishy Moog-like synth. I'm always going to comment on something that has Moog in it, right? As you should. You like some Moog, right?
1: I have been known to like some Moog.
0: And maybe deeper. And really this whole album, this is a great workout for a quality hi-fi system. Um, I'm I'm oh, happy really. to have a, a really good system at home. And um, <laughs> God, this album just flew right out of the speakers in this like rainbow of colors. The last time I listened to it and I was just like, Oh, okay. I don't think I've listened to this since I've, kind of gotten my system together you know what i mean like it right it sounded new it sounded uh sounded really new we're gonna have a little fun now (laughs) and (laughs) speaking
1: of fun
0: this is right there at number nine on the track list for frish beyond dawn's version of autopsy's severed survival and uh what do you think (laughs) of this cover I, I, don't, I don't
1: even know that we need to say anything
0: about this. yeah let's let's just play might be the better
1: that we just we play both yeah and then let the listeners sort it
0: out I isolated segments from each the autopsy original and the beyond on cover of the same verse the the basically the first verse just so you can hear not only the lyrics and and, and the vocal but the music behind it yeah. because uh, I, as, as you'll find it's not necessarily a super strict cover here we go this is autopsy's original. Severed survival. Back to back. There's not much more you can say about that. It's it's. Uh, I think there's a little humor there. I, I definitely think there's some real influence. Uh, if you listen to the early early stuff, probably no doubt that they were into autopsy because you know beyond dawn played doom death. Let us not forget after this long episode and 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 this long trail of evolution that they were playing doom death. Well. Doom death kind of starts with Autopsy and maybe even Autopsies. some slower death material from 87 with Chris Reifert yep. of Autopsy on it. So
1: Again, yeah, part of that. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, totally. So
1: Yeah, Chris Reifert's probably like single-handedly responsible for bringing a Black Sabbath influence into death metal.
0: Well said. Uh, absolutely, good call. Uh, I wonder what he thinks of that version. I really do. <laughs> but he's he an he eclectic listener. Exists. He's a fan of like Residents and Zappa, so he 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 can get out there. He, he understands.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah.
0: So here's, here's my take on Frisch. I, I think it's amazing. I just think it misses perfection because I, pro- I guess the same issue I have with Pity Love. It's a little too long. The 13th long. of the 14 songs is called Decreasing the Gravity. So it carries on from the earlier song, Increasing the Gravity. And it's just kind of a longer remix of that. A uh, Few Minutes Too Long uh, and an album that's 68 minutes. Do you agree? Disagree? Hate me? Love me? No, I, I agree.
1: It, it could have been edited a bit.
0: Yeah, okay. I, I, he,
1: I think you, you and I are the same mind that, like, unless it's uh, called De Laus in the Comitorium, we need it to be less than 60 Minutes.
0: Or Lateralis, yeah.
1: Or Lateralis, yeah, yeah. Sure,
0: sure. Also, the cover art and the album title, to me, are kind of impossible to like, much less relate to. I mean, I don't know what Frisch is. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on in this it's album cover. You yeah, know? I don't know. Uh, this is aesthetic stuff. It doesn't matter in the end. However, when we...
1: Well, I feel like both of them are, are impressionistic. I mean, they, they're, 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 yeah. they're basically meaningless, both of them. I, but it's... And it's-
0: I, and I, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that fits. I, I think it fits. I just don't think it... I just can't relate to it the way I can to like an OK computer or something where I'm like right. all in with every aspect that they presented, right? Right. Um, but I love this. I think it's great. It's unique as a career closer for them. It's, it's kind of even giddy in spots right I I
1: completely agree
0: yeah there's one song that brings us back to sobriety and it's called strange relief you'll buy this album very cheaply on discogs or wherever you buy it I trust you will and when you do you'll understand what we're talking about with that Um, not quite the total futility of in reverie but you know the rest of the album is a fun blast and I'm glad they at least gave us a little bit of the old beyond dawn on this with that song anything else you want to say about that buy it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that is that is yeah that's the clarion call for everything <laughs> um so the, so the band fizzled out sometime after this album they did release an lp only remix album of Frisch called we're down with species of any kind i don't have that um i'm not a huge fan of remix albums although you know they can be good have you ever heard this hunter i have not yeah um so. would you buy it i mean like i i don't know if it exists out there in any kind of affordable form because it was final only you know 13 years ago. yeah
1: i mean if i found that out if if i found that i would probably buy it
0: i'm thinking about getting But
1: i've never actively looked for it either
0: yeah yeah just so yeah i don't know nothing more to say other than thanks to be on dawn for all the despair and um, a little (laughs) bit of happiness too (laughs) (laughs) and really you know look laying more important groundwork for the many many norwegian avant-garde bands and artists that followed (laughs) Thanks for listening. We look forward to uncovering some of our favorite 70s one-offs from the fertile Italian progressive rock scene. It'll be the first we've heard from Italy on Radical Research, but certainly not the last. We're going to revel in the brief careers of three amazing bands for this one, Semiramis, Alpha Taurus, and Corte di Miracoli. Until next time, keep it strained, down, and under.